Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. This message is from our Renovate series, where we take a look at relationships through a biblical perspective and was recorded at our Menifee campus. So we're in the third week of our uh, Renovate series, and we're calling it Renovate because our God's a God of redemption, our God's a God of renovation. And, um, and we're going to, for eight weeks here, we're looking through how God can remodel all of our relationships, uh, relationships like friend relationships, um, family, our kids, spousal relationships, coworkers. And so these cards that you guys have on your seats, those are going to invite people. So if there's people that you know of that need to hear this and don't normally attend church, um, we would just ask that you'd give it to them. Um, Chad and uh, Zach and I went out um, in the neighborhood here yesterday, just kind of cruising along the streets here and, and talking to people at their homes and inviting them. And we brought Ellie, my seven-year-old daughter, with us because we figured like, you know, if you ring the bell and they look through there and they see her in her helmet with her scooter, like that's, we probably got them opening the door, you know? So that was cool. And, um, and people were super friendly. It was fun. We had a good time. Um, we just need to let people know that we're even here, you know? How would they know unless we go out and let them know? And uh, what's really exciting is the, the diversity of people here. You think we're in Menifee and there's all this diversity. But on this street right here, so their yard backs up to the school, we met a guy who's like probably nearly 80 years old He's a Syrian Orthodox Christian, and he lived most of his life in Iraq, so he knew like pre-Saddam Hussein and Saddam Hussein's time and, and after that. It was amazing. We're just fellowship with him, talking to him about Jesus, and it was really cool. I mean, we seemed to really resonate with the gospel, and so we'd like to get him here. I don't know how we're going to do that. We might have to actually kidnap him or something, but um, I'm going to keep inviting him. I would, I would love for you guys to hear his story. I was thinking that maybe there's some way we could get him to tell some of his story of what it's like to be a Christian there, and we could pray for his country and, and things like that. So um, that's what those cards are for, and maybe you guys, if you want to grab some of these, we've got stacks of them in the back. Maybe if you guys with kids could take your kids so you don't scare people. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. Great conversations. They're very friendly people out there. Um, so last week, we looked at one of the tools that God uses to renovate our relationships. We looked at encouragement affirmation. And, um, and then this week, we're going to look at probably a more powerful tool that God uses to renovate our relationships, and it's forgiveness. We're going to talk about how God uses our forgiveness of other people to renovate our relationships. That's what we're going to do this morning. And this is so important, guys, because um, people are going to sin against you. Your friends will sin against you. Your spouse will sin against you. Your kids will sin against you. Your parents will sin against you. Your coworkers. The church will sin against you. And some people are like, oh, I can't believe Christians would, would do this. And I'm like, why? You know, why can't you believe that? You know, we looked at Genesis 3. We're all sinners. If we're together for any length of time, we're, we're going to sin against each other. I'm going to sin against you. You know, I'll probably sin against you out of fear, just so you know. That if I sin against you, it's probably in some way out of fear. But I'm going to sin against you too. And so we need to be realistic in our relationships, not be you know, thinking, how did this happen? Why is this happening? But to really be able to zoom in and, um, and manage conflict. And we want to be prepared. We want to be a church, guys, that's not afraid of conflict. There's so many gatherings of Christians that are so afraid of conflict, they're so afraid of confronting one another, that it just makes problems worse. We want to be a church that's geared to do that, that, that sees conflict as an opportunity, we want to see conflict as an opportunity for peacemaking, an opportunity to see the gospel really work among us. Um, we want to see it in our church. We want to see it in your marriage. We want to see it in your relationship with your kids, your friendships, your workplace. 
Guys, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus means to be a peacemaker. You guys realize this? Um, in Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the sons of God. And so we're called not just to be peaceful or to be peacekeepers. We're called to be the kind of people that come into a situation to be peacemakers. People that are skilled and have a heart to bring people together by the power of the gospel. And this material that I'm going to talk to you about today, we're going to be in Matthew 18. And if you, have, if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up and somebody will get you a Bible. But we'll be in Matthew 18 starting at verse 15. But the first time I taught this stuff was actually in a Mongolian prison. True story. So um, I was in Mongolia and we were doing some training of horse vets. I'm a horse veterinarian, by the way. We were training some horse vets and um, we got the word that we were going to be able to go into a Mongolian prison and teach to the guards about something. And, um, and they said, well, we'd like you to talk to us about like good behavior at work. And I'm like, oh, that sounds boring. Like, not interested. And then I was like, you know what I'll do? I'll just lead him through Matthew 18 and just kind of talk to him in a, in a way, just lead him through Matthew 18 and, and talk to him eventually at the end about the gospel, you know, because there's no true peace without true forgiveness and we can get into the gospel. And it was a great time, but I got this picture of this and I'll send it out to you guys over email. But here I am teaching on peacemaking and there's a gigantic picture of Genghis Khan behind me. The ultimate peacemaker, right? Behind me. And when I got done talking about this passage and then talking about how we, have, we won't have true peace unless we have, uh, we don't have true peace unless we have true forgiveness, and then we get that through Jesus, it was so cool at the end, guys, because we, we said, hey, we got Bibles in your language. Do you want a Bible? And they rushed us. They so badly wanted a copy of God's word. And then what happened after that, I've told some of you guys this before, but there was an awkward book signing after that. They were like, we would like you to sign the book. And I was like, okay, you know, so I'm like, I'm at a book table. And I'm like, guys, I didn't write this book. Just so you know, this is God's book. And I was trying to explain it, but it was super awkward. But I've been told that's normal. So I did the book signing and uh, hopefully all is well. But peacemaking, guys, if we really understand the things that God teaches in this passage, it will equip us to not only in our own relationships, but actually be people that can help others come together and be brought to peace. And it's a great opener for the gospel because it's so obviously wisdom, isn't it? So we're going to look at this morning in Matthew 18, three things. We're going to look at the goal of peacemaking. We're going to look at the process of peacemaking. And then we're going to look at the power to make peace. So it'll be goal, process, and power. First, let's look at the goal of peacemaking. What is the goal of peacemaking? The goal of peacemaking is true forgiveness. There is no true peace unless there's true forgiveness. The only thing you have if you don't have true forgiveness, you have a ceasefire. You only have true peace when you have true forgiveness. What is true forgiveness? How can I know I've really forgiven somebody? How can I know if somebody's forgiven me? The answer is actually not vague. True forgiveness is patterned after the forgiveness we've received in Christ, isn't it? If you look at Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So if we're going to call it forgiveness, it has to meet the same standard as the forgiveness that we have received through Christ from God. And um, when we talk about um, peacemaking and forgiveness, it's really cool. I've got these little handouts for you guys. These would be great for you guys to keep in your um, Bible or in your man bag or your purse or wherever, but have it on you. Because on the back here, you can see there's these four promises of forgiveness. When we talk about forgiveness, when I say, I forgive you, I'm actually making four promises to you. And these are the promises. Look at it on the back there. It says, I will not dwell on this incident. 
Okay, if I forgive you, I'm not going to dwell on the incident. I'm, it's going to be like the forgiveness God gives, where he, he doesn't dwell on our sin, right? He's cast it into the depth of the seas. It's as far as the east is from the west. He does, isn't that the cool thing? that In the gospel, he does not think of your sin when he thinks of you. He doesn't dwell on it. So the second promise is, I will not bring up this incident and use, this, use it against you. This is great in marriage, because a lot of times we like to save ammo for later, right? You know, and, um, and I will not bring up this incident and use it against you later if I really forgive you. If I really forgive you, I will not talk to others about the incident, right? You know, it's done. It's as if it never happened. I'm not out telling other people about it or bringing it up. And then lastly, I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our relationship. That's what it means to forgive someone. It's four promises of forgiveness. And when we do pre-marriage, we actually have them memorize this. And so it'd be great if maybe Jamal and Bree could come up and uh, recite them. Because it hasn't been, it's been a year, right? Okay. Was it right about a year? You remember these? Okay. Um, <laughs> we just went over them too. It's, We'll quiz you later. Um, the other thing we make a memorize is the seven A's of a confession. Do you see it here? Seven A's of a confession or seven A's of an apology. This is what it is to really apologize to someone. And it's important when I read these not to use these to um, judge someone else's apology to you. Okay? So you don't go like, oh, two out of seven, try again. Okay? That's not what we're doing here, right? This is for you to judge your own apologies, right? So here's what they are. The first one, address everybody involved. The second A, avoid if, but, or maybe. This is very important. This is where a lot of the media apologies go bad, right? It's stuff like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry that I yelled at you like that, but, you know, if you wouldn't have started with this, it never would have happened. Okay, that's not a real apology. Or, hey, you know, I'm really sorry if I hurt you. Well, she's crying, so we don't need to say that part, right? Or, you know, maybe if you would have come at me a different way. No, when you apologize, you eat dirt, okay? You're apologizing for your sin, not theirs, and you eat dirt. Okay, it's for them to apologize of their own. Then admit specifically, this is key too. Don't use a euphemism, use biblical words, use biblical sin words. So I don't, shouldn't say something to my kids like, hey kids, I'm so sorry that I've been edgy this week. Okay, edgy, what even is that? And it's not in the Bible, unless you're reading the message, it might be in there. But it, I was angry, I was impatient, I was unkind. I, I was Bible words, you know? Because we're eating dirt, right? We're really saying, this is my sin, I'm apologizing for it. Um, acknowledge the hurt, accept the consequences. Sometimes there's restitution involved. Alter your behavior, that's what real repentance is. And then the last one's key, guys, ask for forgiveness. So often this happens where somebody will apologize and then it ends with, it's okay. Or don't worry about it. Well, no, it's sin. I'm worried about it, and it's not okay, right? I want to know that you're releasing me from my debt to you, right? Isn't that what forgiveness is? It feels so good to be forgiven to know that you've been completely released from the sin debt you have towards somebody else. So it should end in, do you forgive me? And the other person needs to think about, they're making these four promises, yes, I forgive you, and you're released. It's done. It's as if it never happened. Um, this is a, a really important thing, too, from the forgiver's side, guys. Let's be the kind of people that really release people from their debt, that we don't hang it over them. When we say we forgive them, we really forgive them. Um, for a spouse, this means there's no cold shoulder, there's no silent treatment. That's not the way God treats us when he forgives us, does he? He doesn't say, yeah, I forgive you, but come back in a few weeks when I've cooled down. No, it's, it's complete reception. With your kids, guys, I think about this so often, really forgive your kids, you know, and, and I think this can be a challenge because sometimes it's multiple times a day for the exact same thing, you know? And hey, guess what? How is that? 
That's like we are to God, right? How many times have we repented for the same thing? We need to really forgive them. When you discipline your kid or they've apologized for it, we need to make it clear we forgive them. You say, I, I forgive you. And they know what that means. And if they bring it up later, you say, hey, buddy, like, I, this is if it never happened. I forgave you. I'm not thinking about it. I don't want you to think about it. What are we doing? We're modeling the way God forgives. And kids learn how to interact with God first and foremost from their parents. And so we want to really forgive our kids. And so the goal of peacemaking is really to come to that point where there's an apology made and forgiveness given because there's no true peace without true forgiveness. So that's the, the goal of peacemaking. Let's look secondly at the, at the um, process of peacemaking. Now, before I go on, it's really important for me to say this like disclaimer. It doesn't really fit in the flow of the message real well, so I'm just going to do it now. Um, this is for ordinary peacemaking of all these problems that we have with each other. This is not if somebody committed a crime against you. If somebody committed a crime against you, did something illegal, you don't need a peacemaking process. You need a peace officer, okay? And so you need to call the police. This is something, you know, if somebody's being physically abused or some other thing's happening, I don't want you to think this is the process to deal with it. Process, there will be parts of this to apply to it, but that's what the police are for. That's what God's given police for. It doesn't fit, see? I just had to put it in there. Okay, what's the process of peacemaking? Look at Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus sketches for us a way to pursue peace with each other. There's a process, and the process starts with someone sinning against you. It says in verse 15, if a brother sins against you. The first thing we should ask when we know we've been sinned against is not how am I going to proceed or how am I going to talk to this person. The first thing we need to ask is, should I overlook this? It says in Proverbs 19, 11, it says, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So sometimes we need to just overlook it. What do we mean by overlook? Overlooking an offense is I'm gonna make these four promises of forgiveness without bringing it up to you. So I'm gonna unilaterally forgive you and I'm gonna promise to make these before God, these promises and not bring it up. And overlooking is something, if you're able to make those four promises, a lot of times that's the right thing to do. In marriage, a lot of times that's the right thing to do. In your closest friendships, that's the right thing to do. When should we not do it? You ever think about that? When should we not overlook? We should not overlook a sin if it is a pattern of sin that's eroding our relationship, if it's a discouragement to, the, to other believers, if it is preventing non-believers from seeing Christ, then we should confront it. If you can't honestly make the four promises of forgiveness, you try but you can't, you need to confront it. One of the things we need to be aware of, guys, is that some of us, um, think that we overlook sin a lot when really we're just fearful of conflict. You know, We're just too afraid to confront somebody and so we, oh, we're overlooking it, but we're not. And how can we tell we're not? What's that? Still dwell on it, right? Bitterness, right? We gotta really watch out for bitterness. The Bible warns us against bitterness in Hebrews 12, 15. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. I'm very prone to bitterness, Personally, I'll just admit that right now. I am extremely unlikely to have an outburst of anger to you. I'm probably not going to lose it and scream at you. Am I, Tosh? I'm just not geared that way. But what I will do for you guys is I will silently hate you. Okay? And we're all different. And there's on this, um, <laughs> this is fair disclosure, um, I don't like this guy at all, you know? There's this slippery slope here on, on the inside of your handout. And all the ones in the middle are okay biblical ways to handle a conflict. And then up here it describes them. On the side here, you've got denial, flight, suicide. Those are not okay ways to handle conflict. On the other side, it's more the attack one. So there's the, the escape. That's me. I'm going to be bitter. I'm not going to talk to you. Um, on this side, there's more the attack, assault, litigation, murder. Very unlikely to kill you. Um, 
But, you know, all, some of us are very prone to bitterness. And guys, bitterness is poison, okay? And this has been attributed to a bunch of different people, but you probably have heard, bitterness is a poison you drink hoping to harm others, right? You're like, I'm not gonna forgive, I'm not gonna let them win. I'm just gonna destroy myself in bitterness. You know, it's like, that is the craziest thing in the world, but that's what we do, right? We feel like if we were to forgive and move on that they won. So we're just gonna like continue to destroy ourselves from within with this poison. Uh, bitterness is a trap. You know, in South Africa, Nelson Mandela was unjustly imprisoned for 27 years. You just realize this? He spent 27 years during the time of apartheid in prison. You know what he said about the day he came out of prison? This is what he said. As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Not true. How many of us are living in prison? You know, the prison of our own bitterness. You know, it's something we need to be aware of. Bitterness is a sign we haven't truly forgiven and that we need to go and confront a brother or sister. The work of peacemaking isn't done if we're bitter. So let's say someone's sinned against us and, and let's say it needs to be addressed. What do we do next? So look at verse 15. It says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. A couple things to notice with this. First is the go tell him his fault alone. I think this might be one of the most neglected verses in the Bible, okay? Go and tell him his fault alone. We are not allowed to talk to other people about an offense that someone's done to us when we haven't talked to them, right? We aren't even allowed to after. The uh, fourth century uh, preacher, John Chrysostom, said this, gossip is worse than cannibalism. And I pondered that this week, and uh, I'm not sure, but I do know it's very bad, okay? I, knew, I know it's very bad. I was like, these are both really bad. So many of us, so many people, guys, have been discouraged and walked away from the church because of gossip. Churches like this, people will leave because of gossip. And I want us to just right now, and I'm not gonna make you stand up and put your hand up, but let's promise right now we won't receive gossip. You know that's how it ends. It ends if nobody will receive it. It takes a receiver. You think, oh, she's such a gossip. Oh, how do you know? I was listening to her yesterday and she just went on and on. It's like, okay, you're part of the problem. Like you're the receiver. Proverbs 26, 20 says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, which is the same as a gossip, quarrels cease. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Now listen to this. The words of a whisperer, a gossip, are like delicious morsels. Aren't they? It's a bait, right? Oh, you know, do you know what so-and-so is doing? Or, oh, could you pray for so-and-so? They're doing this. Tender little, you know, morsels, right? Delicious morsels. And they go down to the inner parts. Guys, let's not receive gossip. It works like this, very simple. So someone says to you, guy comes up and says, hey, I don't know if I should tell you this, but you say, okay, good, don't. <laughs> don't need to hear it, you know? It's just that simple. A lot of times they admit it in the beginning. Oh, I hope this isn't gossip, but yeah, it is. Stop, <laughs> you know? And so if we won't receive it, what do we need to tell them? Verse 15, go and tell them their fault alone. It's that simple. If we would do that, we'd just nip it in the bud right there. And I'm not thinking that you guys are gossipy people. I haven't experienced that. But I just know that when you get enough people together in one group, they're gossipy. And so we want to just nip that in the bud. Um, getting advice without any names is fine. But most of the time, you know, we give enough detail where they figure it out. We don't want to do that. And a lot of times we know what to do. Go and tell them their fault alone, right? Um, that goes also for gossipy prayer requests. Some of the worst places, it happens in prayer. Oh, pray for my husband. He's hideous. Let me tell you about him. You know, that kind of thing. That's gossip. Shouldn't do that. Notice what else Jesus says. 
He says, you have gained your brother or sister. Isn't that cool? That's the heart in it. When I confront somebody, when you confront somebody, your heart is not retaliation, ventilation. It's reconciliation, right? It's you want to gain them. You want to win them back. I want you back, you know, right? Okay, Jackson 5, this is fine. Uh, You want to make peace by extending the same grace and forgiveness you've received in Christ. And that's going to flavor the whole approach. If they get the sense of like, hey, I'm coming to you. We need to talk about this. I want to forgive you, but I really need to talk about this with you first. That's going to flavor the whole encounter. That's going to change everything. It's going to make them so much more open. And guys, if your heart isn't really there, you need to wait and pray until it's there. But you do need to do it. So many conflicts, guys, could be solved by verse 15. Just a simple approach, lovingly confronting them receiving their apology, granting them forgiveness. Now, if you guys can't come to you know, a conclusion there, that you come to the person, you confront them, and for whatever reason, you can't make it work out, um, there is the church body to help you. There are certain people in the church you could bring into it as well. Look at verse 16. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Notice a couple things here. It's one or two others. Um, you are to, if you can't resolve something privately, you can involve one or two other people. Um, and I love how God does, has wired this because isn't this the way you'd want to be treated? You know, that your problem, your conflict would be kept as small as possible for as long as possible, right? That's the way you want to be treated. You don't want, you know, a ton of gossip and then an intervention. You know, that's not the way to deal with it, right? God wants to keep it as small as possible for as long as possible. And notice here it says, take them along with you. Guys, from this verse, I believe that you are not to share the problem with those one or two until you're all together. Okay? A lot of times we think that one or two others is our posse. You know? Get them together. We tell them what the problem is like. In the morning, we ride. You know? Let's go get them. You know? That's not what this is about. Proverbs 18 says, the one who states his case first always seems right. Isn't that true? We're not to bias them, we're to bring them in. So it looks like this, you know. If Dave had a problem with me and we talk and we can't resolve it, Dave could say something like, hey, you know, how about we bring Chad into this? Let's have Chad listen to this and see, let's see what he has to say, right? And so he's brought in. It's an extra set of ears to help you understand one another. So you should wait till everybody's in the room. This is sometimes called conflict coaching and um, super powerful. I took a... Um, a uh, multiple day like uh, conflict coaching mediation thing. It was about a week. And it was by the same people that make this handout, the Peacemaker Ministry. And um, it was great. It was like a ton of really good teaching, kind of work through how do you do conflict coaching with people and stuff. But um, it included like many days of role playing, which was not okay. I, uh, I'm an introvert. I did not know that it was a, like a role playing course. So you're like acting out conflicts and stuff. Super awkward, okay? <laughs> And uh, it was good, but I'll never do it again. And, uh, but what we learned in there is there's these steps to it. So you bring two people together, and you sit around a table, and you explain the goals. There's only true peace with true forgiveness. Here's what we want to see with what forgiveness means. And you go through those four promises, and you go, here's what a confession looks like. And you go through those seven A's of a confession. And then you have them hear each other out without you know, refuting what the other person says. And then you kind of see how they respond to each other and kind of help them to understand each other a little bit better. And, and you see what happens. And sometimes they resolve it right there. There's a confession and there's forgiveness, usually on both sides. And um, if it doesn't happen, you set up another date to meet together and then you do uh, coaching individually. So it looks like this. You know, you call them up and you say, hey, did you, did you hear what she said in there? You know, it sounded to me like she was apologizing for that thing that she did. Wasn't that encouraging to hear? 
yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, I guess she did apologize, you know. Or, um, you know, hey, you know, when she mentioned that hurt, that was something, you, that was legitimate, don't you think? Yeah, I could apologize for that, right? Um, and, uh, you know, hey, could you admit it to sin in this area? I mean, I'm seeing that. Or I, I don't think you really understood what she was saying. What I'm hearing is this. What are you doing? You're like helping them to understand one another, bring them back into the room again, and then see what happens, okay? And we'll keep doing this as long as it takes. Okay, but it's amazing, guys. It works. I mean, I've used these things with um, the stuff in the Peacemaker handout, even with employees at work. We just took out the verses and kind of written it up on a sheet because secular environment, but tell them what apologies really are. Tell them what forgiveness really is. Do that whole conflict coaching thing. It's amazing how it works. Um, So guys, as a church, we don't have to be afraid of conflict. Okay, I know some of you guys, as soon as conflict happens or something, you feel like, I gotta get out of here. I got to escape. I got to go to a new church, right? We don't have to be afraid of conflict. The Bible's provided us all the wisdom we need. And so when, not if, someone here offends you, don't slink away to another church, right? Don't do that because there's a far better story to be had here. There's a far better God-glorifying story that you guys were at odds and the power of the gospel and the power of the spirit came and was displayed and bringing you guys back together again. And actually, I've done this stuff with several of you in this room. I'm not going to look around right now because I probably look right at you. But, um, and we all get to grow by it. Isn't that awesome? And so, um, so the next section here, if you look at verse 17, I'm not going to get into 17 through 20, but I want to tell you what it is. 17 through 20 is when there's severe situations of sin where professing Christians are refusing to live as Christians. And in those cases, the pastors of the church have to get involved. And sometimes that can even result in them being removed from membership in the church. And I don't have time to go into it right now. I'm not afraid to, okay? Um, But I want to give a whole message to it at some point. But let me assure you guys that when that kind of stuff happens, it's a last resort for serious issues where people are on the path to wreck their own lives or wreck their families, okay? This isn't going to be like, we don't like what kind of music you listen to or something silly like that. It's going to be something, something severe, Another question you might ask, what do I do if somebody won't enter into this process at all with me, right? Take a look at um, Romans 12. You look at Romans 12, 17. It says in Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Isn't that great to hear? I mean, there's some people that just do not want to live at peace with you. I mean, you tried. And the Lord's saying here, like, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with people. There's going to be situations you can't make peace, you've tried, you've done what you can, and you're not responsible to change somebody's heart, right? That's great to hear. And then listen to the next part. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Guys, bitterness and retaliation are never an option for us as Christians. Bitterness and retaliation are never an option. If this person that won't enter into this is a believer, I think you just need to pray and trust that God's gonna change their hearts at some point. I mean, we know from Hebrews 12 that God doesn't allow believers to continue to indulge in sin for very long. He'll discipline them. You need to pray, you need to trust. Um, I love in the beginning of 2 Corinthians when Paul tells us that Christians in the end will all get, uh, will all get reconciled in the end. You know, on the final day, 
you know, we're not going to be at odds. There might be some awkward encounters <laughs> as we're being caught up into the air with Christ and be like, oh, hey, bro, uh, about that blog post. Ah, this is awkward, you know, right? But he will reconcile us all in the end. We need to love and pray each other with, to, about each other with that view in the end. Say, you know what, at some point we're going to get reconciled and I'm just going to pray and love you with that view in the end. If this person is, isn't a believer, is not a believer, and never repents of their sin, realize they have the wrath of God to deal with. You do not need to add your petty wrath to God's wrath. There's no need for you to add wrath to God's wrath. Um, what we need to do, the verse says, is basically plot how to bless them. I love that. You know, give thought to, plot, you know. Normally we would lay there and maybe plot how to get even or something to say or whatever. And he's saying plot how to bless them. This is how we overcome evil with good. I love what Martin Luther King said. He said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. That's what this passage is saying. We overcome evil with good. We don't overcome it with more evil. You might be thinking, that's hard. (laughs) And I agree. (laughs) It is hard. It's super hard. Where does the power come from to do this? You know, where does the power come from to forgive people? And um, that's the last part. And it's um, where does the power of peacemaking come from? Take a look at verse 21. In, uh, in Matthew 18. I love it because Peter's having that reaction, right? Peter's like, okay, let's think about this. So we've got to forgive people and all this. And then he goes, he has a great question, which we thank him for, and we wish there was a different answer. It says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often must my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? He's like, that's a good number. It's a good biblical number. We'll do seven times. And Jesus says, no, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. He's like, oh, man. You know, (laughs) he's like, that doesn't help me because I'm pretty sure you don't mean just to multiply those numbers, right? And so um, he must have had a look of desperation because I love what Jesus did next. He goes, Peter, let me tell you a story, okay? So he tells him a story. Look at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began to settle, one was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, that payment would be made. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when the same servant went out, he found another fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison that he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summons him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to each one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Now this story, guys, does not grip us the way it would have gripped Peter until we do math. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of math, not that much. Okay, don't worry. One talent, guys, one talent in that time, you can see in your Bible notes, probably at the bottom it tells you, one talent was equal to 20 years wages. Okay, so this servant owes this master 20 times 10,000, owes him 200,000 years wages. Okay, so this is hard to pay, impossible to pay, right? 
And then the denarii was one day's wage. So this fellow servant owes the unforgiving servant 100 days' wages, which is a big deal if you made $60,000, made $20,000, a lot, right? But it's nothing compared to how much he owes the master, right? In fact, no master, guys, is going to loan a servant 200,000 years' wages, right? I mean, it's not going to happen, right? And Jesus intends this to point to a much greater debt that we all have, right? The debt we have with God, our debt of sin, a debt that no one, none of us could ever repay. When the servant says in verse 26, he goes, have patience on me and I'll pay you everything, he's delusional. He's panicking. He, he's, he's crazy. And so are we if we think that we could ever use our good deeds somehow to pay off our debt of sin. We'd be as crazy as this guy saying, I'll pay it all off, right? And look what the master does. He refuses a repayment plan, any. He doesn't say, well, you can pay me 10% of it. He doesn't do a loan remodification or anything like that, right? He forgives it completely. He completely releases the debt and sends him out without having to pay a thing. Guys, that's the way the gospel is. Religions at best will set you up on a repayment plan, okay? The gospel is a free gift paid in full by Jesus, and, and that's why when um, he refuses to forgive his fellow servant, everybody's so horrified by it, right? Aren't you guys, it says in verse 31, they were greatly disturbed. Aren't you guys disturbed when you see Christians, people that believe that they have been freed from eternal conscious torment and hell, okay, they believe that, can't forgive somebody for something. Aren't you horrified by it? Aren't you disturbed? Aren't you disturbed when, when two people who both claim that they've been spared hell refuse to forgive each other and are kind of choking each other out? I love in this passage that the servant, he's choking him, right? It's an image of what we do when we either in our minds or in our words, we choke people out and we say, give me what you owe. So often that happens in our marriages. You know, people are so grindingly angry at each other and they're both thinking, pay me what you owe. Well, the master gets wind of it in verse 32. And the master summons him and says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. And also, so also my heavenly father will do to each one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Let's not forget that the one telling the story is Jesus, okay? It's not Matthew, it's not me. It's Jesus. You like Jesus. Jesus tells this story. And Jesus is telling this story to answer Peter's question. Like he's disturbed by the weight of, oh man, we got to keep forgiving for the same thing, right? And so he's trying to help Peter's heart be moved to forgiveness. And what you see here, when you see the master ordering this unforgiving servant to go to jail until he pays it all back, it's 200,000 years wages, remember. He'll never be able to do it, Right? Put him in debtor's prison, he's not going to be able to do it. He saved every penny, he's not going to live that long. Um, 200,000 years wages will never, ever be paid. Guys, it's a picture of hell. Have you guys ever wrestled with, I have, why is hell never ending from, you know, maybe 80 years worth of sin? Let's say you live a terrible life for 80 years and you've got 80 years worth of sin, and then what, hell's forever? Like, how does that make sense? How is that right? How is that just? Guys, the reason why hell's forever is because our debt, like the debt in this story, is impossible to pay. You know, it's impossible to pay. It can never be paid. The punishment never ends because the debt never gets paid. That's why it's forever. But guys, there is one person who has claimed to have paid it. Not for himself, but for everybody who will trust in him. And this Jesus proved that he was able to pay it in full by raising himself from the dead. 
And I just want to ask you guys this morning, have you received this Jesus? It would be as simple as during the worship service, as we're singing or taking communion or whatever, that you would call out to God and say, God, I am done running from you. I'm done running my own life. I'm doing a terrible job at it. I want to turn from my sin and trust in you. Please take that payment that you made of debt for sin and apply it to me. And you know what Christ will do for you today? He'll send, you'll walk out of here scot-free. You'll walk out of here with no debt to God whatsoever. And, um, and you will walk out of here even better than that because you're going to have a whole new relationship with God. It's not like you just kind of took care of your sin problem and you're like, I'm out of here, you know? But you will walk out of here with a new relationship with God and that relationship with God will allow you to forgive others. Isn't that awesome? The point of the story, guys, Jesus' story here is not that we can somehow lose our salvation if we don't forgive other people. The point of the story here is, is that our ability to forgive others shows whether we have truly ever felt that exhilarating feeling of having our debt removed. That exhilarating feeling of knowing that we have just escaped hell. You guys ever been like almost in a car accident? You know, you have that exhilarating rush afterwards of like, what could have happened? When you feel that with God, that you escaped hell, you will forgive other people. Guys, if you're a Christian this morning, you've been set free from a debt with God, a debt you can never pay. And I just want to ask you guys this morning, and I'm going to get into your business like I get into mine. Who are you choking out in your heart? Yeah, who are you... In, Whoever you just thought of is the one, okay? You don't have to look further. It's like a name went, boop, <laughs> that was the one. Who are you choking out in your heart? Who are you saying with your heart or your actions or your words, pay me what you owe? Guys, it's time to forgive and let them go free too. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you as just those who have narrowly escaped <laughs> the worst possible fate we could ever have. And, um, and it happened by the death of your son, that you, before time, chose to send your son to die for our sin. And we just pray, Lord, for all those who are here, come from all different situations. Those are believers. They are trusting in Jesus, but they're finding it so hard to forgive. Lord, I pray that you give grace to them. You would so magnify what your son has done in their hearts that it would clearly outweigh anything that was done to them. I pray we'd be a forgiving people. I pray that we'd take to heart what real forgiveness is. I pray for those who are here that uh, might be confused at where they're at with you, Lord. I pray you make it real clear today. Open their eyes. Draw them to yourself, Lord. We want this place to be a place where you encounter people that weren't even looking for you, really, and you found them. I pray, Lord, that you'd work among us as we worship and as we take communion. We pray, Lord, that, the, that the, the depth of the sacrifice of your son would just burn into our hearts and our souls, giving us a joy and peace that we've never experienced before. Father, we thank you so much. You are such a good God. There's, there's nothing we could invent even that would be better than the gospel. We're in awe of you. You're the one who made us. You're the one who's given us life and breath and everything, every moment of our day. And you're the one who has paid for all of our wanderings. We pray we'd come back to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at cupgrace.org slash Menifee.